In 2001, Jason Jolkowski was a hardworking 19-year-old living in Omaha, Nebraska. He had taken the spring semester off of college to work and save money, and he was doing just that, working at a local Fazoli's fast food restaurant and was preparing to start a job at Cytel. Jason wasn't 100% sure what he wanted to do yet with his life, but he was strongly considering going to seminary school and joining the priesthood. Jason was a quiet and shy kid with just a few friends. He had a learning disability, which would cause him to have trouble concentrating and focusing. Jason was also so shy, he was known to have trouble making eye contact with anyone he was speaking to. However, Jason was also very intelligent, having a higher than average IQ, and was a very responsible and very kind young man. On June 13th, 2001, Jason was called into work early. He left the house that morning to meet his co-worker who was going to be picking him up. Jason was never seen or heard from again. Where is Jason Jolkowski? Hello, and welcome back to the Where Are They podcast. The voice you just heard was the heartbroken mother of Jason Jolkowski. In a lot of the cases we cover, it seems as if the person has disappeared into thin air, vanished without a trace. However, in many instances, once you dig into the person's past, their friends and acquaintances, or other things happening in their life, 
there are risk factors that pop up. Maybe they were associated with criminals. Maybe they had a history of substance abuse or lived in a dangerous place. I've never let those factors alone deter me from covering a case. They are all missing persons who need found. But I do think the most baffling part of this case is this was a young man. We are talking about a 19-year-old with no history at all of anything dangerous living in a middle-class neighborhood in Omaha, Nebraska, and it just makes no sense. A few quick announcements before we dive into the story of Jason Jolkowski. First, a sad update in the case of missing person Brandon Lawson in Texas. It appears that his remains have been found. Brandon disappeared under mysterious circumstances back in August of 2013, and this week remains were found during another search in the area that he was last thought to be in. Our thoughts and prayers are with Brandon's family. If you want more information, there's a lot of media coverage on him popping up. Just please keep his loved ones in your thoughts. Please make sure you're following us over on social media. Links will be in the show notes, or you could just search for the Where Are They podcast. We have a Twitter now also. You can find us at Can We Find Them. We'll continue to share updates there as we receive them as well. The case of Laura Vogel went up on Patreon over the weekend. If you are interested in supporting us over there, please check out our page at patreon.com slash where are they podcast. We do post bonus episodes once a week, and we are going to be adding more content throughout this year as our community grows also. And last but not least, a big thank you to this episode's sponsor, Movement and Meals. Movement and Meals is such a great way to stay on track with your health this year. The number one reason people fail at their health and weight loss goals, they give up. Movement and Meals is a newsletter that provides you with an equipment-free workout that you can do at home or at the gym, as well as a recipe for a home-cooked dinner every weekday, all sent to your inbox each morning. You don't have to download anything and you don't have to browse through endless recipes and try to decide what you want for that day. And let's face it, Sometimes the decision-making process of what to make for dinner is so daunting. Those are the times we make bad choices and just order a pizza. Every weekday morning, you'll receive an email with your workout and delicious dinner recipe with ingredients included. No fluff, just your healthy choices ready to go so that you can focus on your day. Did you ever find a recipe that you wanted to check out only to have to scroll through the author's life story and endless ads before you actually get to the recipe? You don't have to worry about that with movement and meals. They are respectful of your time and get right to the point. And actually, that's the number one reason I don't look up recipes online anymore. So annoying to keep scrolling. Every Saturday morning, you'll receive an email with your shopping list for the next week's recipes so that you can get stocked up and ready for the week. You can try Movement and Meals for free for two weeks at movementandmeals.substack.com. I'll also have the link for you in our show notes. After the two-week free trial, it's just $7 per month. That's $0.35 
per day to outsource your healthy decision-making and free up your mental energy. They make it so easy. Again, that's movementandmeals.substack.com. It costs nothing to give it a try, and it might just help keep you consistent and on track in your health and wellness journey. Jason Jolkowski was born in Grand Island, Nebraska on June 24, 1981. The family would later move to Omaha, Nebraska and lived a pretty typical suburban lifestyle. The parents, Kelly and Jim, were wonderful doting parents to Jason and his younger brother, Michael. Jason would have some learning disabilities and was often seen as awkward and shy And Kelly, during an interview a couple of years ago on the Unfound podcast, said that Jason had sensory and motor skill trouble and would often become overwhelmed in noisy settings or anytime there was just a lot going on. Jason, however, was super intelligent, and at age 18, he started college. As part of his college program, he had a part-time job as a DJ at the college radio station, The River. It's interesting since he was such a shy person that he seemed to excel at being a DJ. Reading through some online forums, there are many comments of people who remember listening to him on the radio with many of them even saying that he was their favorite DJ on that station. Jason wasn't quite sure what he wanted to do, however, with his life. One of his dreams was to become a sports broadcaster as he loved following sports and being on the radio. But he had recently begun to consider attending a seminary school and he was specifically looking at one in St. Louis, Missouri. When his fall semester ended, however, Jason didn't have the money to continue on for the spring semester, so he decided to take the time off of school and work to save up some money. He was working at a Fazoli's fast food restaurant in Omaha, specifically the one on Cass Street. And he was known to be a very hard worker. Jason was really excited, however, because he was soon starting a new job at the place where his uncle worked. He had gone so far as to have the job all lined up and was scheduled to start within the next week or two. Jason was thrilled as he'd not only be making more money, but they had a tuition program that Jason could utilize to help him pay for college. On the morning of June 13th, 2001, a Wednesday, Jason's boss called to see if he could come into work early. He was scheduled to work that day already, but not until 5.30 p.m. And of course, Jason said sure, but his car was in the shop and he would need to walk there. And this wasn't too out of the ordinary for Jason and this wasn't a problem for him. He didn't mind. His family said he walked everywhere anyway, and the restaurant was about four miles from his home, so it might take a little while, but it was doable. However, the manager told him that he would send a coworker to go pick him up instead, and Jason agreed, but said he would just go ahead and meet them at the high school nearby, as he was terrible at giving out directions to his house. The Jalkowskis lived in a suburban neighborhood in Omaha, a residential area, and the walk to the school was just about a half a mile. This walk normally took Jason about 15 minutes. Around 10.45 a.m., Jason walked out of the home, his red work shirt in his hands, and he saw his brother Michael bringing up the trash cans, which was one of his weekly chores. Jason helped Michael and then took off for the school. 
Michael saw Jason walk off and a neighbor who was also home would later confirm that he witnessed this as well. At 11.15 a.m., the female co-worker sent to pick Jason up called her manager over at the restaurant. She actually had to drive over to a gas station and use a payphone. She said Jason wasn't there and the manager told her to wait a few more minutes and then just come on back to work. The manager called Jason's house and spoke to Michael, who just said that Jason was at work. No one realized anything was wrong until Jason's dad, Jim, arrived home from work around 5 o'clock. He hadn't realized that Jason was called in early, and he was expecting to drive him to work since his car was in the shop. But Michael, however, told his dad that Jason was not home and that his work did call looking for him. Jim started to look for Jason himself, and after confirming that he did not show up for work, he called his wife to let her know that he couldn't find him. Kelly immediately left work and went home to help look for her son. Kelly said she was told to wait 24 hours before she could officially report Jason missing. But even then, police took 10 days before beginning to search for Jason. Of course, at age 19, Jason is an adult, and authorities definitely have a different approach when it comes to searching for missing adults, especially at first. I mean, as an adult, we all do have the right to disappear. However, the family knows that Jason did not just disappear on his own. There is no reason for him to. It just doesn't make sense. His car was in the shop, and he left most of his personal belongings behind. And the investigation begins slowly. Police do start canvassing the area and speaking to people in the neighborhood going door to door. But no one saw Jason at all that day, except the one neighbor who did see him help his brother with the trash cans and then head off walking towards the high school. Authorities also questioned Jason's co-worker at Fazoli's, the one that was to pick him up that day, and she is cleared. They also questioned the manager of the restaurant, who is also cleared. They check with the school for surveillance footage, and while they did have a good amount of surveillance footage to go over around the entire school, Jason is never seen on camera there at all. And in fact, about another half mile away is a middle school, and they searched the surveillance footage on that school also, just looking for any clues at all. But they find nothing. This leads investigators to believe that Jason disappeared sometime between leaving his home at 10.45 and 11.15, and that he never actually made it that half mile to the school. Now, Jason had very few friends, but police did start calling anyone that he knew or considered a friend or acquaintance. But every person they spoke to said they didn't really talk to Jason regularly, and in fact hadn't talked to him in a couple of months, even prior to his disappearance. Police are baffled. Jason has no history of drugs or alcohol. He has no criminal activity in his past. He wasn't very social, and he pretty much just stayed home with the family, went to church, and work. 
Police did pull a list of registered sex offenders residing within and around their neighborhood, and one in particular lived just across the street. This person was questioned and their house was searched, but again, nothing was found to tie him to Jason Jolkowski. There was also a neighbor that lived a block over that some people have pointed fingers at. This man, a gay man, 31 years old, would move out of the neighborhood shortly after Jason disappeared. And I can't find exactly why, but some people have questioned his motives as well. Perhaps the timing of his move just seems suspicious to people. But I could literally find no connection to this man and Jason, at least that's been made public. So I don't know where that conjecture is coming from or if there is even any validity to it, but it does come up often in connection with this case. A possible sighting would come in from someone who thought they saw Jason at the Mahoney State Park. This park is about 30 miles southwest of Omaha. We don't know much about that sighting. For example, I'd like to know, was this person seen alone, this person that they believed might be Jason? What were they doing? How were they acting? But ultimately, police were not able to even confirm that the sighting was Jason, and it was just very possibly a false lead. About a month after Jason disappeared, another young man from Omaha also seemed to vanish into thin air. Samuel Sherman lived just a block from where Jason lived. There were so many uncanny similarities, except for the fact that Samuel has virtually zero information on him out there. In fact, many people have wondered if he is even a real person. He does have a missing person profile up on NamUs, but there are no photos. We only have a description of him being a Caucasian male, blonde hair, blue eyed. A similar description as Jason's. However, Jason was six foot one and Samuel was said to be five foot seven. What is reported as that this Samuel Sherman was last seen leaving his home in the middle of the day to go to a job interview. He allegedly did make it to that job interview, but never made it home. This is very similar to Jason leaving his house in broad daylight to go to work. There's different reports on the age of Samuel Sherman. I've seen anywhere from 20 to 26, and Jason was 19, so they were pretty close in age, and they disappeared almost one month apart from the same neighborhood. Super weird. While so many people believe these two cases have to be related, some believe Samuel was just a drifter with no family ties and just left the area. Someone from an online discussion group did reach out to obtain the police report and file on Samuel Sherman. But a detective responded stating that they believed a lot of what they had was inaccurate. And they didn't have a lot to begin with. This just seems really bizarre to me. These two cases with so much in common and a missing person with little to no information and law enforcement believes the info that they have is incorrect. There's also talk that this Samuel Sherman is not a real person at all and somebody reported him missing. To lead people to believe that there was something going on in the area, a serial killer or 
a sexual predator looking for young men. And a lot have questioned who even reported Samuel Sherman missing. Perhaps they should be looked into. I don't know, but the case of Samuel Sherman is very bizarre, especially in how it correlates to Jason Jolkowski's, and it almost doesn't come up in conversation on its own unless Jason Jolkowski's case is talked about. Now, there is a lot that will come out of Jason's disappearance, especially in Nebraska, but before we talk about that, let's look at the theories in Jason Jolkowski's disappearance. Theory number one, Jason met up with someone that morning, something that was maybe pre-planned. Jason didn't know he was going to get called into work that day, and maybe he had made plans with someone nearby, someone that no one else knew about, and he intended to go by and let them know that he now had to go to work. This would have to be someone that his family is completely unaware of and law enforcement because there is no evidence that he even had any current friends that he was talking to. But it wouldn't be the first time someone had a secret. Theory number two. Jason was taken by someone. This theory is as believable as it is unbelievable, if that makes sense. For instance, Jason was an introvert. He was also six foot one and weighed around 165 pounds. It was broad daylight. Was someone supposed to just drive up to him in this suburban neighborhood and just grab him? It really seems unlikely. But what if he knew this person, even if just in passing, maybe someone like a neighbor, someone he had seen before? Could they have called him over to their car or even to their front door if they lived in the neighborhood? What if this person was able to convince him to get in the car, maybe even saying that they would drop him off at the school? I just don't think he would willingly get into the car of a stranger. Jason was also known to be a helper. Anytime someone needed help, he couldn't say no. What if a neighbor lured him to their house asking for help? And Jason figured why not, especially if it was something that just might take a minute. I definitely think I lean more towards this happening than the fact that Jason had some secret life going on, unless it involves theory number three, which we'll get to in a second. And while Jason vanished during broad daylight, it was also midday on a weekday. Most people were probably at work, and that could definitely explain the lack of witnesses. Theory number three. Now, this one is a controversial one, but we're going to talk about it anyway, and that is Jason's involvement with the church. The Catholic Church is no stranger to controversy and trouble, and in this case, there's absolutely no evidence pointing to the church. But of course, there is no evidence pointing anywhere. But it's a theory that has come up. And since this might be the only place aside from work, that Jason may have socialized, I think it's a theory that definitely needs looked at. Jason attended the Holy Name Catholic Church, which was about a mile from his house. Jason was very involved in the church, and he often did some volunteer prayer duties there. Now, Jason was originally supposed to be off of work that day, at least until 5.30. So perhaps his original plans were to go to the church. 
could he have decided to walk to the church first, let them know of his change of plans, before heading over to the high school? This is a question that a lot of people have asked. But if that's the case, he wouldn't have had any extra time to spare. He was supposed to be meeting his coworker in 15 minutes, and the walk directly from his house to the school was almost exactly 15 minutes. Also, if he needed to cancel or let someone at the church know that he wasn't going to make it, was there no way to call them and let them know instead of having to walk all the way there? And it doesn't seem Jason's family was aware of anything that he planned to do at the church or that's a theory or a question that would have been brought up by either the family or police. The other part of this theory is, was he possibly being groomed by someone at the church? Unfortunately, we do see this in a lot of human trafficking cases, or even a lot with sexual predators. Jason didn't have much contact with anyone else in his life. If somebody was grooming him, it is quite possible there is a connection with his church. This also makes me wonder, and I'm working on hypotheticals here, was that part of his reason for wanting to pursue a career with the church and attend seminary school in St. Louis? Had someone roped him in or under the pretense that they were all about the church and Jason's goals started to shift? If I remember correctly, his original career goal was to become a sports broadcaster. I don't know if anyone could be involved from the church, and I would hope since police have said they questioned everyone that knew Jason that that included people at the church. I also have some questions that might lead to more theories or even rule a theory out if we had the answers to Question number one, was it in any way unusual that Jason was not wearing his work shirt, but carrying it instead? For instance, he was going straight from home to work. Why change when he got to work instead of just changing at the house before he left? The only thing I can think of is that maybe it was super hot that day and he didn't want to get sweaty before arriving at work. But otherwise, it was just a 15-minute walk, and I think just wearing the shirt would have been much easier. Question number two, were Jason's electronics searched, or at least the ones he had access to, any home computers, for instance? Was there any unusual activity? Was he talking to anybody, chatting with anyone, involved in any type of online gaming groups? Or were there any unusual searches that were conducted. Anything at all that might give a clue as to what Jason might have been doing that day. And question number three, what were Jason's original plans that day? Did he have any? Maybe he didn't, but he wasn't supposed to be at work until 530. That is, until he was called in early. Did he have any other plans that might have involved someone else? Jason's disappearance did bring out some positive changes in the state of Nebraska. In 2005, Jason's parents, Kelly and Jim, lobbied for change and Jason's law was put into place. 
Jason's law meant the state will develop a clearinghouse that will keep track of all the missing person cases. It also helped to start a toll-free hotline and a website. And all of this was with the idea to give missing persons a better chance at being found. In addition to Jason's law, Kelly also formed a nonprofit called Project Jason. The goal here was to help families that are coping with missing loved ones. There's a little bit of information on this nonprofit still out there, but I did learn that the nonprofit was disbanded in 2018. I want to play an excerpt from Jason's mom's YouTube video that she put up for Jason. Take a listen. Real moments from my life. When I get up in the morning, it's another day to everyone else. But to me, it's another day of not knowing. You open the door to your child's bedroom and see him asleep, curled up with his favorite stuffed animal. There is a subtle but yet comforting sound of his breathing. I wake up in the morning and open the door to Jason's bedroom and see an empty bed and clothing that might now be several sizes too small. I see toys of a bygone place in time with dust collecting on their once cherished surfaces. There is only silence in this room. It's time for me to get ready and go to work. No one else is home, so I take the portable phone into the shower. What if he called and I was not here to answer it and I missed my only chance to hear his voice again? You start your day by talking and laughing while your son eats his Wheaties and you sip your coffee. I'm at work and a coworker is complaining about her son who leaves his clothes all over the floor of his room. I would give anything to have my son back home to leave clothes on the floor. Another coworker acts as if her world has turned upside down because she had a flat tire. I wish that the worst thing to happen in my life was as easy to fix as having a flat tire. Having a missing child in your life can't be fixed with a few turns of the wrench. It's time for me to go home. I need to stop at the store and pick up some groceries. In the store, a woman is laughing along with her children. I remember my son's giggle as I go through the aisles. In the cereal aisle, I reach for my husband's requested brand. I find it and reach toward it. My arm brushes against another box, and I see it's a very familiar brand. I instinctively reach out to grab it. My fingers stop inches from the box. It's my son's favorite cereal and I want to buy it, but I can't. It would be nice to think that he could be home before the expiration date on that box comes to pass. I'm on my way home now, and I see a young man walking on the sidewalk a few blocks ahead of me, heading the same way. His gait looks somewhat familiar, and I try to slow down as I look as I get closer, but the traffic is too heavy. I turn my head to look at him as I drive by, but I can't be sure if it's my son or not. I go around the block, driving a bit faster than I should. My heart is pounding as I come around the corner again. There are no cars behind me this time, so I can drive by him slowly. Our eyes meet, and I see a stranger. 
It's never my son. Jason Jolkowski was last seen in June of 2001. He is described as a Caucasian male, six foot one inches tall, and weighing around 165 pounds. He was wearing a Chicago Cubs shirt, a Cubs hat, and black pants, and carrying his red Fazoli's work shirt. Jason is described also as having learning disabilities related to speech and language. The disabilities may make him appear to be mildly mentally disabled, but he is actually of above average intelligence. Jason left behind all of his personal belongings. His car was still in the repair shop, and he possibly had his wallet with approximately $50 to $60 in it. His bank account has not been touched. If you have any information on the whereabouts of Jason Jokowski, please contact the Omaha Police Department at 402-444-5657. I want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of Where Are They? and listening to Jason's story. Someone has to know something here. Please share his name, his story, his photo, any way you can. I also want to give a big thank you again to Movement and Meals for sponsoring this episode. I will have their link pinned up on our Facebook page and of course in our show notes. Give them a try with a free 14-day trial. It's time to take care of you and put yourself first. We will be back on Patreon this weekend with a bonus episode. We hope to see you there. And of course, we will be back again next week with another unsolved missing persons case. And until then, stay safe and hug your loved ones.